Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. Great to see you. It's always great to see you. I feel like I see you a couple times a year at these events, and I always love hearing about what you're seeing, how you're thinking about the space, and how you're feeling. I feel great. But to be clear, I walk humbly in your long shadow at these events. (laughs) Um, No, I feel great. There are days, um, probably you feel feel the same way. We wake up very nervous about the strategy, and there are days I feel like it's an exceptional strategy. And I happen to be on one of those days, being around the Cleveland Clinic, um, seeing all the great innovation, uh, and more importantly, seeing the really acute clinical and non-clinical needs confirms for me the strategy is really powerful. So let's take a step back. You know, I want to learn a little bit about Flair, but I want to go back to Michael Greeley. Who are you and why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, so that is not an interesting story, but I was a <laughs> chemist, organic chemist in college. I went to Williams College um, a few years ago and took my medical school exams, but obviously didn't go to medical school. I ended up at Harvard Business School and uh, graduated in the late 80s and have been in the investment business since then. Uh, Flair is the third firm that I've uh, helped found and scale. Uh, and uh, it really, um, I think for me, was the, uh, the culmination of a set of insights around the venture industry. So I've been in the venture business for a long time. Uh, and our industry went from uh, maybe 15 years ago being quite horizontal, so firms could manage funds that did a little bit of everything, to more inverted where firms are very vertical, much like what you've built, which is have a team and a strategy that is very focused on a specific uh, set of opportunities. And so uh, I live in Boston, uh, which has wonderful information technology infrastructure and wonderful healthcare infrastructure. And so I've been fascinated about that interface um, and would say, you know, for the last 10 or so years, have been chronically early, probably chronically wrong. Uh, <laughs> but in the last couple of years, it became very clear to a number of us, you know, you included, uh, that, that uh, we're on the front end of really a golden age of innovation in the business of healthcare. And so we raised uh, one of the larger, I think, uh, dedicated healthcare tech funds last year. So how big, what do you focus on, what stage do you get involved in? So it's a $200 million fund uh, that will end up being sort of 20 to 25 core holdings. We have seven now, so we're just on the front end of investing it. and think of the strategy as an activist, sort of classic venture model. Uh, we want to be on the board of all our companies, the largest investor in those rounds. Uh, we skew probably earlier, not where you're playing. Um, I have tremendous regard for what you're building. Yeah. Uh, we actually would, are across, the, all, now that our portfolio has matured, it's across all, all stages. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing companies scale, yeah. and so it's, it's, yeah. it, it's great to see these things scale. Uh, I would have said a year and a half ago when I was closing the fund, we would probably be Series A, then Seed, then Series B. And I think given the risk reward, I'm probably Series A, B, and then Seed. I think the job you've done has been extraordinary. The top of the investment funnel has really wonderful companies. They don't necessarily need to see us do a lot of seed investing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's catching those companies that have sort of solved, at least at the beginnings of a product market fit or built most of the team and helping that uh, company scale is where I think there's a really interesting uh, kind of risk reward trade-off. So what's the Michael Greeley filter? What does it look like? I mean, you, when you meet someone, see something, get, take, walk me through like your first, second, third, fourth, either questions or, you know, looks look at, um, look at what data do you look at or what information or what do you talk to the entrepreneurs about? So, uh, I think 
without being glib, one, two, and three has to be people first and foremost. For the most part, we're backing people that are in our extended network or that we're sort of one derivative away from. Uh, and um, so that's clearly critical. And then having a sense of what around that founding team, the team build requirements will be either at the board level or uh, kind of backfilling the two found, you know, the handful of founders. Mm -hmm. What we like to see in the founders is somebody who owns product development, so somebody who's quite technical, uh, married to somebody who has great um, sense of voice to the customer. Uh, and so there's a whole sort of uh, uh, analytics we do around the team. Uh, and then secondly, in which I think uh, you and I both enjoy the, in this category, the markets need to be enormous. And it's hard to scale a multi-hundred dollar company, hundred million dollar company in a category that's less than a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. So you wanna see obviously end, end uh, markets that are significant. W one of the interesting elements I think of the fund, and actually you've again embraced a lot of this, uh, a little over half the dollars in the fund are from a dozen strategics that come from around the entire ecosystem of healthcare. And so once you, are excited about the team and the size of the market opportunity, being able to in, expose our entrepreneurs to some of our strategic investors uh, and get a sense of how quickly they could pilot or launch. Um, I think for the most part, companies in this space that will not be successful will be really around product market fit. Mm -hmm. They're either gonna be early or they'll be late. Um, and so having that voice of the customer confirmed by some of our investors and people we see at events like this um, I think would be the third critical ingredient into making uh, an investment. As you well know, you know we'll see a hundred companies to make two or three investments. So it's the the risk of our category right now is it's cluttered. And I often say that if you limited many of these startups to two sentences to describe their company, it's the same two sentences. And so how entrepreneurs position and differentiate that value proposition is a challenge. So we're, we're noticing there's kind of two types of investors putting capital into healthcare companies. There are short-term and long-term. Short-term about how to make money now, how to get reimbursement, how does it apply today? And there are those investors who are very vocally about five, 10 years from now, planting the seeds for massive disruption and change that is not as evident in what's happening in the market today. What are your views on that? How do you balance that where everything's changing and nobody really knows what's going to work and what yeah. isn't going to work. But yeah. how do you view kind of where we are right now? And, you know, if I was to characterize you and Flair and how you look at companies and what they're working on, how do you view that? Uh, I, I think clearly to build sustainable long-term value, given some of the issues around sales cycle, um, you have to have a six, seven, 10 year horizon, uh, which starts to push up against some of the structural issues in the venture model yeah. that are 10 year funds. We have five years to invest and we have five years to harvest. Um, so, but I, I think this is uh, a game of duration and endurance. And so uh, I, I have a hard time when I see investors who are thinking I'm gonna come in in the mezzanine round and I'll flip it. And uh, that short term orientation I think is is challenged given the potential commercial headwinds selling into this marketplace. Enormous, interesting, enduring companies are getting created. We see that all the time. But to be able to time it on a quarterly basis is really difficult. And we have the complexity, as we all know, with the regulatory frameworks still being developed. Um, and I, changing. I, and potentially changing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so 
I love the venture model for this asset, uh, for this industry, but you can't go into it thinking that this is a three to four year product development cycle and you're yeah. selling the company. Thought leadership. I love getting your newsletter slash blog post. It's a newsletter to a blog post. Um, tell me a little bit about your thinking there. I mean, there's not a lot. There's there's in non-healthcare, there's a lot of very vocal VCs and investors who talk about the market, the industry, what they're seeing. But I really enjoy how you how thoughtful you've been in your, um, well, I don't know how often it's like a monthly or every other monthish you know, post that you do. But tell me a little bit about your thinking there and where you hope that goes. So I started doing that. Again, you're publishing great research. You're kind of opening the box to this category. For me, the impetus initially was I was amazed at how little entrepreneurs understood of the venture model. They would come and pitch on a Monday and then they would scratch their heads for weeks and never hear back from us. And so I thought initially as a public service, I could kind of open the box to what the venture model looks like, how we make decisions, um, uh, how we're uh, uh, oriented towards our thinking about strategy and the attributes of an investment. And that became more of a, an opportunity for me to really explore what we were just talking about. How does the venture model align itself with our investment strategy? And so I talk regularly about what's going on in the venture industry. And there's actually quite a bit of uh, uh, transitions in the venture model. Um, actually, we just saw today the quarterly data for the third quarter was released and the volumes have fallen off dramatically. I don't think that's well understood. If you're an entrepreneur, how do you navigate that? If you're about to raise another round, how do you navigate that? Um, uh, one of the issues that I think you'd be sympathetic to is 2014-2015 was quite clearly a high watermark for our sector. A lot of capital came in. Um, again, largely due to the good work you do in shining a light on it, it's an exciting category. There is an issue of absorption. Can the capital be deployed uh, productively? Uh, I think the phenomenon we're about to see, which is why I'm so excited right now, mm -hmm. is a lot of those companies we're given a year to two years of runway. They're naturally now coming back to raise additional capital. They'll be more hardened. They'll have hit some proof points. And so I think we're gonna see a cohort of companies come out of this last two years of almost irrational enthusiasm with some really interesting businesses. Um, I was nervous a year ago when multiple SaaS multiples were 10 and 12 times. Um, and you saw companies getting funded way ahead of where they were. And today you're seeing uh, more reasonableness in the market, but I think you're seeing really high quality companies. So our data shows this is gonna be a record year yeah. in, in funding in this sector. Um, what you describe, if it was in any other sector, right? You, you'd look at it and it would be these new benchmarks and you'd say this year's bigger than last year, which it is. Um, next year will likely be bigger or at least, you know, kind of absorb some of that. When you look at what we need to do as a sector, entrepreneurs, partners, investors kind of coming together to make sure that it's sustainable, what do you think needs to be done or make sure that needs to be done? Uh, it's a wonderful question and none, none of us individuals solve these issues. What I liked, what we saw today, this morning with Martin Harris, Dr. Martin Harris, the Chief Innovation Officer of the Cleveland Clinic, uh, making himself available to the community. If the system, and many of these players in the system have innovation officers or innovation teams, really were truly- Innovation officers. <laughs> it's a little oxymoronic, <laughs> but if they were truly opening up uh, to engage with the entrepreneur 
and I mean really lean into these pilots or these conversations, um, I think that would take a lot of the mystery out of the sales cycle for entrepreneurs. Uh, and so uh, I think there's um, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. We're asking executives who've historically run uh, and businesses, hospital systems that have not had to underwrite risk or manage risk. You know, they've done great work getting patients through a system, but they haven't had to underwrite that. The entrepreneurs we're backing are building the tools to enable that. So there's a complete orientation, I think, with many executives in the system around um, how do they solve these problems, really embracing the entrepreneurs. And that, that to me, is slowly evolving. Uh, what's really encouraging, you're seeing great young kind of starry-eyed talent who were at Google or Amazon yeah, or Amex, the yep. another industry is saying, I figured out customer acquisition, let me go do it in healthcare. Yeah. We, we, can't, um, we can't put those people off. We have to really embrace that talent because they will solve really significant issues. Yeah, and they're well. coming in without being jaded by, you yeah. know, too long in this industry that kind of gets you thinking. And if they're beaten down for three yeah. years and they run out of money, yeah. then they're going to go back to right, right. Amazon. So uh, two final questions. One, out of all your current portfolio companies, which one changed your mind from the moment you met them to investing that you didn't really think much about it, you weren't that interested in, but yet now you're enthusiastic. So I, I love all our, our children. Uh, I'm really enthusiastic about two of them. I won't bore you with the commercial. Iora Health has become sort of, I think, a breakout company, just did a very big financing. And what for me was so powerful about that is there's an obsession naturally to focus on the technology. <laughs> and we often lose sight of ultimately healthcare as a P2P business, person to person. And so Iora's, the innovation is around the business model. Uh, they use all the tools that you're backing that I'm backing, but they have recreated what the primary care experience should be. And the innovation is how they do that in partnership with insurers and take risk. And we're seeing really profound impact on costs and outcomes. I seeded last week, notwithstanding what I said earlier about too many seeds, a company called Circulation, which has access, exclusive access to the Uber APIs. And so the healthcare industry is obsessed around moving a patient from the second floor to the third floor and they stop watch it and they tag it often losing sight that there's dozens of people sitting in the discharge lobby trying to get right. home and yeah. nobody can pick them up. Right. And so as we've all become trained to get in the backseat of somebody else's car, Circulation has built a platform to handle PHI Probably. that Uber doesn't want to touch to move those patients. And so there's a really big, it's put me on a theme of what other businesses, successful breakout companies in other verticals, we could re uh, skin to be in healthcare. I love it. Love so. it. That's a great lead into my final question. Favorite apps on your phone? What are you using right now outside of healthcare that you just can't live without? Uh, if, I, if I deleted I, it from your phone, so I you'd be upset. I'm really old. Probably Instagram because I'm following my my knucklehead children. But he <laughs> <laughs> shows the age. Not Snapchat. Instagram. Right. Snap what? I know exactly. <laughs> I'm 13 years in down, and all my all Snapchat and watching them is uh, unreal. But yeah, so. I just sound really old by saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, it's hey, always great. really great to spend time together. I look forward to having work. you back longer episode. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for everything.